This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And uh, today we're talking about frozen food. I mean, it's in the title, so you knew that. We didn't, I mean, I feel like we build up to these things a lot, but it's, it's really <laughs> right there in the episode title. Maybe one day we'll, we'll surprise you. <laughs> and everyone will be mad. Maybe we won't do that. <laughs> Um, March is National Frozen Food Month. Yes. So happy Frozen Food Month, Lauren. Oh, yeah. Happy Frozen Food Month, Annie. Why, thank you. And happy Frozen Frozen Food Month, Noel, as well. (laughs) Producer Noel is nodding. Yeah. Uh, And and, and to all of you, uh, do, do you eat a lot of frozen food? Do you use it a lot in your home? Not at all. Yeah? Not at all. I freeze fruit for smoothies, and that's about the extent of it. And I was thinking about this today and i there's never been a point in my life i don't think <laughs> oh man i consume like like quite a number of frozen meals but mostly here at work for for lunches because it's slightly more affordable than going downstairs and eating the excellent 20 dollar lunches that that occur in our in our wonderful building but i also <laughs> eat like every 2 hours so that that's kind of a thing <laughs> it's just a steady stream of frozen burritos yeah <laughs> powering Lauren throughout the day. <laughs> Aside from this like kind of kitschy marketing thing, uh, I mean, f- frozen food has has decades of really interesting innovation and personal stories behind it. Uh, basically, all of the frozen food companies that you might be familiar with are named for the literal inventors of technologies. So things I didn't know before we started researching this episode. Yeah. 
I was really surprised by that, too, because some of the names don't really sound like names to me. <laughs> right. That, yeah, there's been a lot, a lot of innovation. And it it took a lot to get frozen food when it first made its debut. Uh, grocery stores did not want it. <laughs> they wouldn't stock it. And now there's so many aisles. Oh, yeah. Of just frozen food. There's a whole aisle for frozen pizza. I myself stood in front of that aisle last <laughs> night and and made a very difficult decision. <laughs> Were you happy with your decision? I, I was. I was. Okay. It, it involved spinach and mushrooms. Mm, all right. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, that was nice. How did this happen? How did it go from something that nobody wanted to... To this plethora. Well... We'll tell you all about that, but first, you're going to have to wait, because we're going to do Frozen Food 101. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so like frozen food is food that is frozen, sure. Yeah. Uh, but um, but, but why, why is this cool? It's got a couple things going for it that I didn't know for sure. Um, they, frozen foods don't have or they don't need to have any preservatives, since illness-inducing microbes can't survive on foods at temperatures less than zero degrees Fahrenheit. Negative 17.7 degrees Celsius. Most frozen foods can remain edible for just about forever, but no guarantees about taste, texture, and general pleasantness of the food. Huh. Some foods like chicken and meat are still good, as in taste good, not it's not rotten, uh-huh. uh, even after being frozen for up to a year. Uh, things that are pre-cooked or, or otherwise chemically activated, like like baked goods or raw cookie dough, because there's baking soda involved in that, yeah. or, or cooked meats or, or whole meals, generally should be eaten within the first six months of being frozen for, for best results. Yes. Um, I guess I, I did have a, a period in my life where I ate a lot of raw cookie dough, which is <laughs> terrible and unhealthy, but... Um, to prevent nutrient color and flavor loss, you have to inactivate, in this case by freezing as soon as possible, those chemical compounds known as enzymes. For vegetables, this means blanching. And Annie, you know you know a thing or two about blanching. Yeah, Lawrence heard me go on a a few rants about blanching. Uh, my mom and I used to go to the Atlanta farmers market every summer, and we would buy. Oh, man, just an enormous, an enormous amount of butter beans, fresh butter beans. And then <laughs> we would come back and we would blanch all day. What's a what, what's a blanch? So this is the process of briefly exposing vegetables to high heat. We did it through boiling, but I hear you can do it through steaming and then cooling them rapidly, usually by dumping ice water on them. And by doing this, you're getting rid of any surface microorganisms hanging around, and it gives you a more quality frozen vegetable end product. But it's painful because <laughs> <laughs> it's hot water, and you dump it out, and then you put the ice on it, and you have to mix the ice with the hot butter beans. And I was doing it for hours, Lauren, <laughs> hours. <laughs> but the frozen butter beans were good, and we, I mean, we bought enough to last years. Oh my goodness. Like, I mean, just, you put them in individual Ziploc bags, that's how we did it. Uh-huh. Um, and like, I probably like now, if I, if I went to visit my mom now, <laughs> I could open <laughs> the freezer and I guarantee there'd be some frozen butter beans in there that I worked hard for. <laughs> I, 
I like that it was Butterbean specifically. Yeah, like, like nothing ne- else. Like never anything else? No, never. Just wow. Butterbeans. Okay. That's... Sure. <laughs> Whatever. You know, I, I bet your mom is a nice lady. She is very nice. Okay. All right. So so that's a, so that's a proven, an in, in-podcast proven method for, for preserving vegetables by freezing the best way possible. What about other stuff like fruit? Fruit is a bit trickier because it discolors easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see this a lot because I freeze bananas oh, for yeah, smoothies yeah. and ice cream all Ooh. the time. But uh, yeah, they get brown almost immediately. To combat this, the fruit needs the help of a chemical compound, in most cases vitamin C, like lemon juice. Um, sometimes they're commercially mixed with sugar. One of the main obstacles of freezing fruit and vegetables is water. You know, the liquid that composes up to 90% of these things. Uh-huh. Uh, when water freezes, it expands and breaks up cell walls, which messes up the texture and gives it that dreaded mushiness. Oh. It's defrosted. Yeah, yeah. That's the worst. Yeah. Um, the way to get around this involves rapid freezing. We mentioned it earlier. We will be talking about it again. But the basic idea is the less time it takes to freeze something, the smaller the ice crystals and the less rupturing of the cell walls of the frozen item. Science. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Another obstacle in in freezing is preventing freezer burn, which you're probably familiar with. It it happens when frozen foods are exposed to enough circulating air that that ice crystals in the surface layer of the food evaporate out of it, Mm -hmm. Um, which sounds weird because you're in a freezing environment, but evaporation can still happen. Science. Uh, and, and that, and that, and when that evaporation happens, it leaves this terrible wee little dry pocket behind. And really the best thing that you can do here is, is seal stuff in very airtight packaging with the surface tightly covered. But, but sometimes it just happens because air gets into stuff. <laughs> it's a thing that, it's a thing that air does. Freezer burn sounds so terrible. It sounds like, Something an athlete would experience. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been entirely sure what it was, actually. I just knew it was bad. Yeah. You didn't want it. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want it. I mean, it, it's not like dangerous, really. I mean, it just makes the food <laughs> particularly unappetizing. It's dangerous for the flavor of the frozen food. It is. It's dangerous to your palate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, although... Um, Although mechanical refrigeration devices have really only been around for the past, like, century-ish, uh, I mean, people have been freezing stuff for, for a hot minute. For a hot minute. Oh. Huh? oh. <laughs> Love these accidental puns. Yeah, when it comes to the question of who invented frozen food, like many things we talk about, um, the answer can be murky. People in colder climates obviously have been freezing food uh, forever since they realized that they could. <laughs> they were like, oh, well, that that's frozen now. I, that's, guess, this, yeah. I guess I just made frozen food. That mm. just happened. Okay. Uh, the Chinese used ice cellars to preserve foods as far back as 1000 BCE. Uh, the Greeks and Romans used compressed snow in cellars to keep stuff cold. And in India and Egypt, they discovered that when water evaporated, as the clay pots or similar items, ice crystals were left behind. Sort of the first example of frozen food packaging. Ah. Uh, and then chemist Robert Boyle talked about the cooling power of ice and salt in 1662. Ice was viewed as a luxury at the time and... In fa- places where it didn't, like, grow naturally yeah. for the in, for the entire year. Yeah, not certainly. those cold places where they were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> luxury. <laughs> 
Um, there were fashionable iced desserts. They were a sign of wealth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And and any time in a in a court when someone offered you like a chilled bowl of fruit, it was like ooh, <laughs> chilled fruit. See how rich I am. Yeah. <laughs> Britain had a patent for freezing fish specifically in 1824, soon after the invention of modern day refrigeration. And a Russian company also purportedly used frozen storage as a way to make small shipments of frozen geese and duck to London. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. A couple things I read. I'm pretty sure Australia was also freezing things, too. Uh, also in the 1800s, Carl Paul Gottfried Lind invented an ice and refrigeration device intended for cooling, industrial cooling, using the patented Hansen-Lind cycle. And in 1892, he developed a carbon dioxide liqu- <laughs> liquefaction plant. <laughs> liquefaction, sorry. <laughs> Turning gas into liquid by cooling it for Guinness Brewery at their request. Ah, yes. oh man, that's great. Go, go team Guinness. Yes. Okay. And you know some more about this, yeah? Uh, yeah, okay, so the Hampson-Lind cycle. Um, this, this is cooling stuff through physics. The the uh, specifically through the Joule Thompson or sometimes called Joule Kelvin effect, which has to do with the physics of how heat energy is transferred when liquids boil off into gases, and also when gases condense into liquids. Um, it, using this for refrigeration is just really heckin' elegant because you can keep reusing a single liquid in, in the cycle without needing to replace it unless you like spring a leak in the system. Um, and basically how it works is that when when a liquid vaporizes, it sucks in heat from the environment around it. And that's what's happening inside pipes in the walls of your fridge to make it cool. A uh, uh, liquid is, is vaporizing inside these pipes, and then air is circulated around the pipes and into the body of the fridge to make the cool thing happen. Um, the the coolant vapor in those pipes is then moved through a whole other system of pipes that take it to the coils on the back of your fridge where it gives off heat, and in losing that heat, cools off and condenses back into a liquid, which is then ready to be moved back into the walls of the fridge and boiled off again. Pretty neat. Oh! <laughs> and and the, the key here is that the, the, the coolants used in fridges boil at, like, negative 28 degrees Fahrenheit, a.k.a. negative 33 Celsius. Wow. Which, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is, you know, chemistry. It's great. Um... If you want to hear a little bit more about this, way back in March of 2013, I did a whole episode about refrigeration technology with Jonathan Strickland on Tech Stuff. So if you are curious about the, 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 the histories and the intricacies of this technology, you can check out the episode. It's called How Refrigerators Work. Uh, it, it's also like so early in my podcasting career. So you can, you can hear little bitty baby Lauren, uh, uh. attempting to use words <laughs> in front of a microphone. <laughs> Uh, can hear the progression. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure I didn't, I didn't go back and listen to it, y'all. I'm sure, I'm sure it's very special. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, so, so, so that's, that's the basic principle behind what they were working with in this industrial ap- application. And, and it also has become what we use lar- largely today. But in order to make the industry of frozen food what it is today, we're going to need to get into one of those one of those name brand inventors that we mentioned at the top of the podcast and we will do that right after this short break for a word from our sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Thank you. One of those dudes that really, really pioneered. One of those well, we, pioneer dudes. One of those pioneer fellas that really um, deserves a large part of the credit for our modern day iteration of frozen food is Clarence Birdseye. Birdseye? Yes, that Birdseye. <laughs> <laughs> I had that moment of like, like could what? it be? <laughs> yes, it is. It's not a coincidence? <laughs> um, he was a really interesting fella. He traded furs in Labrador, Newfoundland, Canada, and he noticed that the local Inuit population, when they went ice fishing, would freeze their catch almost immediately. And he thought, hmm. Quick freezing? Hmm. Huh. Round about the year 1912, Clarence decided to test out freezing of his own fish and was pumped to find out that a month later, the fish still tasted really fresh. Not machine gross, like apparently all the frozen foods were that were available at the time. Oh. Yeah. He experimented on a lot of foods. Uh, One of my favorite examples was he would soak barrelfuls of cabbages in salt water, then put them out in the freezing winds so he'd have enough for him and his family to last through the winter. He discovered that when he thawed them, the taste was still pretty fresh. Oh. And he figured the key to this freshness had to do with how quickly the food was frozen. And that explained the not-so-great taste and texture of frozen foods at the time because they were frozen very slowly. And these huge ice crystals would form, like we talked about earlier, 
rupture the food cell membranes, and when the food was defrosted and the ice crystals melted, all that water would dilute the flavor and cause that mushiness. Flash freezing preserved the taste, nutrient content, texture, and it cut back on bacteria. So, so he conducted experiments on on freezing foods from from vegetables to rabbits. Yep, <laughs> and he used a lot of different methods. He used electric fans, salt water, and ice, uh, and all these methods had successful results enough to make him think maybe I could make some money off this. But first, he needed some money. <laughs> So he, he borrowed money against his life insurance. Oh, my goodness. And with three partner investors, he started General Seafoods Company in 1924, which would later become General Foods. In 1927, Birdseye applied for a patent for his multi-plate freezing machine, which consisted of insulated cabinets with refrigerated aluminum plates kept at or around negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 25 degrees Celsius, thanks to internal passages filled with subfreezing ammonia. He stacked one on top of the other on the inside, and uh, they could be opened and closed where food packaged in these very snug square containers. This food was primarily fish in the beginning, uh, and that those containers could be placed inside these cabinets, and then they were pressed between two metal plates, the pressure evenly distributed, and flash frozen. Ah. Yes. And a year later, in 1928, Birdseye developed a double belt freezer, a device that rapidly moved food on two below zero stainless steel belts sprayed with salt solution through a 15 meter or about 50 foot tunnel kept at or below freezing. Depending on what you were freezing, it took 30 to 90 minutes. The double belt freezer was twice the size of the multi-plate freezer, so it was only used in permanent installations, um, as opposed to the easily transported multi-plate freezer. And that, because it was so easy to move, you could um, move it from seasonal crop to seasonal crop, field to field. Oh, like like a like like house calls, but for farms. <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. Okay, we've got some peas ready. Get the multi-plate <laughs> freezer. And you could do it right after they were harvested. And because of this, you were getting, like, the freshest vegetables. And the multi-plate freezer was the more popular option. Therefore. Generally. Yes. Yeah. Um, and using this technology, Birdseye released the first line of frozen food products in 18 Springfield, Massachusetts stores. <laughs> Massachusetts <Yeah>. stores. <laughs> in 1930. Eh, no one's from there. <laughs> no, no, no one. Yeah. No one knows how to pronounce nah. that. He released these under the Bird's Eye Frosted Food Company brand. And yeah. that was in 1930. Yes. Thank you. This line included 18 types of fish and other meats, fruits, and vegetables like raspberries or spinach. Um, an advertisement for their frozen peas read, As gloriously green as any you will see next summer. <laughs> Annie and I both flourished when she said that. <laughs> Um, it's very useful for podcasting. Um, but but d- despite our flourishes, even no. this launch was just not really a success. No, it wasn't. The first problem birds I ran into was getting retailers to spend the money on open display refrigerators, ah, so people could actually see, see the product and like want to buy it. Yeah, know it existed. Yeah, at all <laughs> what? <laughs> and the second was getting the American consumer who was 
much more comfortable with canned foods and quite possibly didn't own a mechanical refrigerator on board. And speaking of on board, what a segue. A decent chunk of surplus or low-grade frozen food merchandise was sold to trains or steamships. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) It was a slow burn. (laughs) And um, the products were prepared and served to unsuspecting customers who didn't realize that they were eating frozen food. Ah. Yeah, yeah, kind of sneaky. But I guess if no one complained, um, yeah, sure. Whatever. They're just like, oh man, I'm on a train. I guess I'm eating whatever's here. I <laughs> yeah. Don't have any any other options. Yeah. So. <laughs> Birdseye continued to improve the technology behind his frozen food products, going on to develop a wrapper of coated cellophane and better ways of dehydrating a wider variety of foods. But um, but the industry's fortunes kind of turned around World War II, which is when the U.S. government started enacting really tight restrictions on the use of tin in order to preserve this this important wartime metal, which was not so great news for the canned food industry, um, although canned foods were also being shipped to U.S. soldiers overseas. But but grocers needed something to stock their stores uh, and. Customers liked that frozen foods, you know, since the packaging didn't contain any metal, cost them fewer ration points when they were purchasing them. Uh, in 1940, frozen orange juice concentrate was introduced. It was pretty huge. <laughs> yeah. And by 1944, frozen food had gone nationwide, largely thanks to Birdseye's suggestion of, uh, of leasing insulated train cars to ship his products. So between 1945 and 1946... American consumers wound up purchasing 800 million pounds of frozen food. Uh, Birdseye also contracted with the American Radiator Corporation to build display refrigerator cases and then lease them to retailers. So so by the 1950s, over 50% of stores had a frozen food section. Yeah, and I double-checked the 800 million pounds number because it seemed ridiculous to me. Yeah, that it would go from something relatively like meh, like why would we even bother, yeah. to war- everybody. Uh, the the uh, Second World War was a really huge shakeup in a lot of yeah, a lot of commercial industry around the United States, yeah, and other places. I am sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> probably, probably one or two other places. And pizza bonus, yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles, anybody? Um, the first frozen pizza <laughs> shows up in 1949. Can we have a pizza bonus in all of our episodes? Oh, yes. It would be it would be a little bit of a shoehorn situation in some things, like 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 cauliflower easy, right? Yeah, oh yeah. But yogurt? No. You can use yogurt for cheese. I, oh. Well. Or maybe use a dipping sauce yeah, for pizza crust, because if you're eating pizza, why not use it? Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it helped it helped this entire situation that the late 1940s was also when consumers began really picking up on, on mechanical refrigerators, which were at that point getting uh, safer and also less expensive. Uh, the, the coolant materials used in them were less likely to explode. <laughs> Always a bonus. Which is <laughs> super... Pizza or not. (laughs) Always a bonus. (laughs) So that brings us to 1954 and two frozen food game changers. But wait, before we reveal what they are, let us go for just a quick moment and listen to a word from our sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Okay, we're back. Thank you, sponsor, and apologies for interrupting you, Annie. <laughs> it was a cliffhanger situation. <laughs> so... The two frozen food game changers were the 98 cents frozen dinner and the fish stick. <laughs> oh. oh man, I've never, I've never heard fish sticks referred to as game changers before. <laughs> this is really great. You never know where an episode will take you. <laughs> but before we talk about those, I do want to mention a couple of quick things about Bird's Eye, the person, not the company. Okay. Uh, by the time of his death to heart disease in 1956, see Sugar episode, oh, mm, mm-hmm. uh, he held 168 patents. And, and these weren't all for frozen food. No, they included things like incandescent lighting, a whale harpoon, and a method of turning sugarcane waste into paper pulp. Huh. He also wrote a book about wildflowers and was a Chinese checkers expert. So... He sounds like a pretty interesting I, character. I okay. If we if we ever if we ever get a time machine here on this show, then let's go back and talk to him. He sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's go have a. I, I I would like to have a beer with this guy. Yeah, he is a man of many traits. He was cremated, and his ashes were spread in the waters near his first factory in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, that's sweet. Okay, okay. So on to frozen dinners. This was pretty huge because televisions had experienced exponential growth in the United States during the 50s, from numbering in the thousands in the 40s to over half the population owning a TV in 1955. Wow. Yeah. The number of stations and programs 
the choice you had greatly expanded. Swanson, another company you've probably heard of, introduced a complete frozen meal in 1954 called, quote, TV dinner. (laughs) Yeah. And it was called that to ride the wave of TV's exploding popularity and also because the shape of the tray was like a television. I mean, and, and enough. I could, uh, I could, yeah, I could see okay. it. Yeah, okay. Because at the time, a TV had the, those panels. Yeah. And, okay. And they, and they were squarer than they are. Yeah. These days, they're all <laughs> movie format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, okay, I get it. All right. <laughs> it checks out, Swanson. Um. <laughs> Proceed, Swanson. <laughs> the, they had turkey dinners. Fried chicken dinners and beef dinners with, quote, garden fresh peas seems to be a very popular option. The instructions were just heat and serve. But like the first frozen food, uh, Swanson's TV dinners were not an immediate hit. And they were even controversial. What, there was TV dinner controversy? Oh, yeah. Dudes. Is, 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 this, is this about some kind of terrible gender standard? <laughs> How did you know? Well, I read ahead in the notes. But... <laughs> Dudes especially didn't like the idea. They wrote the company uh, complaining that they preferred their wives to make home-cooked meals like their mothers made them. (laughs) How dare you provide options for my wife, company. Yeah. Terrible. Sure. To get the fellows on board, Swanson released a series of ads claiming frozen foods allowed the busy working man to come home late and possibly with unannounced co-workers. But his wife wouldn't have to stress... I read this or nag him about it later Um, (laughs) because she has super delicious Swanson TV dinners in the freezer that can be ready in a mere 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) There's some debate, though, over who invented the first frozen TV dinners. Oh, even more controversy. Yeah, (laughs) so much. The Library of Congress gives that distinction to three sources. The Swanson Brothers, Jerry Thomas, and Maxon Food Systems Inc. Ah. <laughs> and and yeah, and, and there's there's more there's more history from from the from the Maxon company because W. L. Maxon mm-hmm. Corporation. Com- yeah. com- company corporation? Yeah. Co, I would say. <laughs> Co period. Yes. Uh, designed stratoplates. In 1944, which was a frozen dinner specifically for the Navy and airlines. Uh, the typical strato plate had meat, potatoes, and vegetables served on a, on a like, bakelite resin-coated paper tray. And one of the innovations that went on here was that due to the whole airplane weight restriction thing, the founder of W.L. Maxson Co., uh, <laughs> William Maxson, invented a lightweight, like, 35-pound convection oven that he called the Maxim Whirlwind Oven. I love it. Whirlwind. Uh, it could cook six frozen meals simultaneously at half the time of a conventional oven. Like we said at the top of the podcast, lots of inventions and innovations have been spurred on by frozen food. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to make up for lost revenue after World War II came to a close, Maxim convinced Pan Am to stock similar meals on their commercial flights called Sky Plates. <laughs> And pretty soon, all of the airlines were, were serving frozen food. The next step, in Maxon's mind, was to make a line of strato plates marketed to women, 
or in his words, quote, single food items for the busy housewife. <laughs> uh, but he died before he could bring this to pass. Uh, he, he passed away in 1947 and his business closed shortly after. Side note, he got the idea for frozen dinners after he grew too much cauliflower and froze it, trying it a year later and finding it super tasty. Dang. See, it comes full circle with cauliflower. <laughs> It all it all comes back to cauliflower. Yes. And he also sounds interesting. He invented, quote, an aerial navigation instrument too complicated to describe in these pages. In in what pages? <laughs> it was the patent form. Oh, like, my goodness. I what, love that. Isn't the point of a patent to describe? OK, sure. Wow. It, it sounds like something you'd say to get someone to, like, ask you more questions. <laughs> But I love that sentence either way. Um. (laughs) Back to back to frozen foods. Um, More more trade developments were in the works. Yes. Enter Frigidinner. Frigidinner. Yes. Uh, A couple years later in package. It was packaged and served in an aluminum tray. And it touted options like veal goulash with peas and potatoes and chicken chow mein. That is the that is like the fiftiest thing that I've ever heard. Like the fiftiestest <laughs> thing. That's amazing. Veal goulash. Hmm. I'd uh, try it. Yeah. I mean, if I found one in my path that I didn't have to pay for, I would give it a whirl. <laughs> they were purchased in 1949 by Frozen Dinners Inc. And they boasted 2.5 million frozen dinners sold by 1954. Wow. And... That 1954 was the same year Swanson's TV dinner came onto the scene, like we said earlier. Which brings us to Swanson executive Jerry Thomas. The story goes that in 1952, trying to figure out what to do with 520,000 pounds of surplus turkey. Where does one come about 520,000 pounds of just extra turkey? I have no idea. Okay, please continue. So trying to figure out what to do with this ungodly amount (laughs) of surplus turkey, (laughs) Jerry Thomas gets the idea to freeze the excess product after being served a frozen meal on an airplane. Ah. And that's why one of Swanson's entries into the TV dinner market, the first ones, was the turkey dinner. Ah. According to this. Sure. Uh, The first frozen meals were sold in 1954, again, around Swanson's Omaha, Nebraska headquarters. But by leveraging America's new favorite form of entertainment, yet again, (laughs) they came up with a national marketing campaign called Operation Smash, as in smash it. Oh. I think that's what they are going for. I, you know. Who knows? That's what it is in my head. Um, (laughs) And Operation Smash was a smash success. (laughs) And 10 million frozen meals were sold in their first year after going national. On average, the American family consumed one pre-prepared frozen meal per week. Thomas took credit for how the TV dinner was served with the lap acting as the table and not the frozen meal itself in a 1999 AP interview. And for his contribution, Thomas was added to the Frozen Food Hall of Fame. Which is a thing. Yes. (laughs) I wonder if you can visit it. (laughs) I'm positive. Listeners, if any of you guys have been there, like, let us know. Write in. Tell us Tell us what it's about. I would love to hear all about it. Yeah. Uh, the Smithsonian National Museum of American History displayed one of his trays for a while. 
And his handprints are in the one of those handprints outside the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Wow. Yes. But the controversy. Oh. 2003, the Los Angeles Times published an interview with the heirs of Swanson where they claimed Thomas had made the whole thing up and had absolutely nothing to do with the design of the TV dinner tray. Wow. That may be that surplus amount of turkey was just a something he added to, oh. ma- to make the story sound cool. Wow. Yeah. Instead, according to the interview, the Swanson brothers, Clark and Gilbert, pitched the idea in er- the early 1950s. But Thomas never changed the story. And since his death in 2005, we are still not entirely sure who to credit with the invention, which is why the Library of Congress gives it to both the Swanson brothers and Jerry Thomas, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Because according to this, one of them is a liar. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, and I guess the Swanson brothers wouldn't really have anything to to gain in by 2003 of. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, this was their I think I said it was that. Yeah, the heir. So it was like the um, daughter, I believe, okay. of one of the Swanson sure. brothers. Sure. Or, or, right, right. Yeah. 520,000 yeah. pounds of turkey is just a lot to have lying around. Yeah. <laughs> but back to the ni- back to the 1950s. Um, <laughs> yes, this was in general a really incredible decade of innovation for frozen food. That brings us to the other game changer we mentioned earlier: the invention of the beloved fish stick. Right in 1953 by Gortons. Yep, that Gortons. <laughs> uh, this led the success of the fish stick led many more companies to jump in on the frozen food game. And the fish stick, by the way, won the coveted parent seal of approval from Parents Magazine in 1956. It's a healthy food. It's, yeah. Feed your kids. Yeah. I do still crave fish sticks sometimes. <laughs> it's very strange because it's not like a craving for a food. It's a craving for like a texture combination. Yeah. It's got the crunchy yeah. outside. I'm actually not sure I've ever had frozen Food frozen. adventure. Uh, another one every episode yeah okay it's like i have homework (laughs) it's great the best kind of homework uh speaking of health the 1960s brought with it a health craze and because the industry was so new this didn't really stymie growth as much as it did for other industries in the pre-packaged food food industries yeah. yeah uh more health conscious options entered the fray and (laughs) despite america's new focus on health Swanson introduced the fourth compartment of their tray, also known as the dessert compartment. Well, sugar is t- is, is is fine. I mean, <laughs> that's true. eat plenty more sugar. Yeah, we know all about that now, yeah. don't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Nighthawk, a popular steakhouse chain based in Austin, Texas, released their first frozen Nighthawk TV dinner in 1964. I've never heard of this. But it was included in almost every timeline of frozen food I looked up, so I figured I should include it. Okay, yeah, Nighthawk. (laughs) Nighthawk just reminds me, it sounds like a Batman character. It does. It definitely sounds like some kind of comic book superhero. Is there a Nighthawk? Go ahead. Please please continue. (laughs) By the end of 1969, American shoppers could buy their first frozen breakfasts, the most popular options being pancakes and sausages. And another popular frozen food staple, pizza rolls, were invented in 1968. Uh, The creator of pizza rolls, Gino Laolucci, 
sold his company in the 80s to Pillsbury for $140 million. And Nighthawk is a Marvel character. Oh, I, his name definitely sounds familiar. I feel like the suit is black with a red emblem in the front. It's certainly possible. <laughs> this brings us to the 1970s. It does, which was not a great decade for frozen food, thanks to the recession and strict price controls to combat inflation. But that didn't stop Swanson from debuting their larger size portion, Hungry Man Dinners, with football player spokesperson Mean Joe Green. Flash frozen bagels? A process that was introduced several years earlier to extend the shelf life of bagels prior to shipping became available in the frozen food section of grocery stores by the end of the decade. Originally, you could only get them in the north from where that company like could easily get to stores to stock. Sure. But yeah. they became available nationwide. I guess I guess that's allowable. Yes. I have like the half of my family that's from Jersey. We I I have a number of opinions about bagels. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear all of it's that. All, oh my god. Oh man, we should totally do a bagel episode. Yes. Oh, I want to go eat a bagel. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then the next really big innovation that drove the frozen food market was the uh, uh, commercialization um, uh, of the home microwave in the 1980s. Yep. Uh, the first microwave-safe frozen food tray entered the market in 1986, and convenience became the marketing word of choice. Um, t- the, the term TV dinner was replaced with frozen entree, <laughs> and uh, there, there started, there started. Um, you started having more, more options and more upscale varieties. Yeah, which I think is why they ditched TV dinner. Right, they were trying to rebrand. As yeah. a much fancier product. Yeah. You, you don't just eat it when you're sitting on your butt in front of your television. You can, you can light candles and have a, <laughs> a romantic, a meal. fine Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> And then in the 90s, there was another resurgence of health food. And this is when the sales of Lean Cuisine, Healthy Choice, and Weight Watchers prospered. Um, health descriptors flooded the market, you know, like light, low salt, low cholesterol, low fat. And this was driven, too, by regulations requiring products to list their ingredients. And their percentages of daily nutritional value, except for sugar. Because see above re-sugar. Yep. <laughs> By 1999, frozen food sales in the U.S. equaled $25 billion. Which just about brings us to today. Yes. A whole aisle dedicated to frozen pizza. What a world we live in. Mm-hmm. What a time to be alive. But you don't have to go to the grocery store to get to your frozen food. I mean, I guess you can also get it delivered by, like, Amazon drones or whatever they've got now. Um, but, no, you can, you can flash freeze stuff at home. Like, kind of. Like, like not as well as you would in a major industrial thing. But, um, but basically, it's simple. Uh, you just, you just turn your freezer as low as it will go for at least two hours before you want to start the freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, if you're working with a vegetable that needs blanching, go on and blanch it. And when the freezer's ready, you, you wash, you, you, you lay out your, your washed and dried pieces of fruit or vegetables or, um, like, like individual pieces of meat on a baking tray, like a crappy baking tray. Like, don't use your really good, like, double walled cookie tray. That's, yeah. be, be, be polite to that one. Um, but yeah, so, so you put the stuff on the tray, not touching any of the other things, pop the tray in the freezer. Uh, for best results, do just one tray at a time because more than one tray will slow the cooling process, which is the opposite of what you want. Yep. And uh, after at least two more hours, 
I'd say four to overnight to really be safe. <laughs> uh, check back in. And if the stuff that you put in there is frozen, like hard to the touch, then you can pop it into storage zipper bags or other sealed containers for longer term storage. There you go. There you go. And then remember to turn your freezer back down to yes. whatever freezer temperature you prefer. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to how to run your own freezer. You've, you've got that. <laughs> it's not that kind of show. Before we sign off today, uh, we have been getting some listener mail in from all of you lovely humans out there in podcast land. Um, so so let's let's read one of those. Yeah, let's do it. So a few people have written in to clarify a thing that we were wondering about in our episode on cauliflower. Uh, because if you'll remember, if you if you listen to that one, uh, when Annie Googled cauliflower culture, we were really befuddled that the first result was for a jujitsu club. Yep. <laughs> uh, Nick emailed us to explain. Just listened to your episode about cauliflower. And I wanted to clarify a little bit about the cauliflower club and why that name is associated with jujitsu gear. There is a phenomenon in the world of grappling arts called cauliflower ear where during a bout, your head and ears can be subject to lots of squeezing and twisting motions. This can cause the tissues of the ear to internally tear and become damaged, which then leads to swelling and deformation of the ear that can resemble a head of cauliflower. Protective gear and medical treatment can prevent this condition from happening, but it can be ignored due to cost or general inconvenience, so it's fairly prevalent. Some folks take it as a sort of badge of honor, so we get wrestling groups using the name like Cauliflower Club. I know there's a lot of talking for a minor point in the podcast, but hey, <laughs> knowledge is knowledge. Might as well use it. Thanks for the podcast. I look forward to future episodes. Um, thank you, Nick, for the yeah, letter. Absolutely. Uh, and, and knowledge, knowledge is always good. We, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Especially I don't care if, how random it is. Right? Like, oh, yeah. No, no, that's, that was fascinating. That's why we wanted to read that one. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, this is something I should have known because. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you a black belt in something? <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah don't go spread that around oh. <laughs> I, I like to keep that to myself but yes I sh- that is something i should have known and like when people wrote in i kind of had that oh oh right also another thing it, at the house stuff works water cooler today somebody came up to me and told me that she thought i was mispronouncing cauliflower and now i'm full of doubt oh. every time i pronounce it <laughs> is it cauliflower Cauliflower. 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 I think I think you I think you you have a Lee cauliflower. Oh no. (laughs) It's it's a lilt. It's a it's a it's a lilt. It's a thing that happens. It's okay. (laughs) Uh Oh, uh, for, for further shout out, uh, Nick, Nick is not the the only um, nice human who wrote into us about this one. Shout out to uh, Kyle and Maria for emailing us about this, and to Peter and BJJ Health Coach on Twitter, <laughs> and maybe other people who are missing. But I think that covers everyone. So, so thank thank all of you for for writing in. And also special shout out to May, who sent us a gift. Yes. Ah, it yes. was so awesome. I was like. Our uh, office manager handed me this box, very mysteriously, didn't say anything. And I don't normally get mail at work. So I was like, oh, no, what is this? But I opened it up and they were champagne candles. Yeah, sh- champagne bottle candles, like like made from the like hand ground bottles of champagne and filled with lovely candle stuff. Yeah, it, they smell lovely and they are also 
very nice. Very nice. Very, yeah, oh. very nice bottles of champagne. Mm-hmm. Good uh-huh. taste. Yeah. Good taste. So uh-huh. thanks so much for that, mate. Yeah. yeah. It was really awesome. It was just ridiculously delightful. Yes. Oh, and one other thing that I wanted to cover before we close this this entire episode out is uh I've got a I've got a podcast rec for 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 y'all um because we're participating in this little tripod exchange. You might have seen that hashtag somewhere. It's a pretty good hashtag if you like podcasts and I think you might. <laughs> I guess suspicion. I hope you do. Um uh then yeah, yeah, you you might have you might have seen it. It's a good hashtag to check out for sure. Um my recommendation is Gastro Podcast. Um and a listener of ours on Twitter by the name of Captain Kitten Face, like there's an emoji involved, so that's really the best translation that I can give. I imagine that it's Captain Kitten Face because that's delightful to me. It is. Um <laughs> Captain Kitten Face recommended an episode of Gastro Podcasts um, that's about wine after hearing our sh- champagne episode. And uh, and, th- and the episode is really good. Um, it's called Cork Dork Inside the Weird World of Wine Appreciation. And, um, and, and it's called that after the title of the book that their guest wrote. Um, so, yeah. So check out that episode, maybe, or the podcast in general, if you'd like to. So that wraps up. That's almost a pun. It's frozen working. food. <laughs> <laughs> that shuts the door on frozen food. <laughs> there we go. Uh, thank you to our producer of the day, Noel Brown. Yes. Uh, if you would like to tell us anything, because this is about the end of our episode, uh, you can email us at foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. Apart from the email, we have Instagram and Twitter. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. On Instagram, we are at foodstuff. And on Twitter, we are at foodstuff. H-S-W. That's H-S-W, as in how stuff works. Right. And we would love very much to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- thank you for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.